0: Head over to the book of Nehemiah. Let's continue study. Some of you have been joining uh, with us just for today. We're uh, talking, going through chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph through the book of Nehemiah. We're headed to chapter 5 as we're going to continue. If you weren't with us, let's just see if we can all catch up to the same spot in Nehemiah. Nehemiah's time period where he's living is is an ancient, ancient period in the Old Testament. Israel had been a nation, but then they had divided because of the two different uh, groups, the northern tribe, the southern tribe. They had gotten into idolatry, so God used other nations to spank them, to try to correct that idolatry. Babylonians were one uh, that came in when the northern tribes were already gone and the southern tribes were continuing for another 125 or so years. Then God sent in the northern uh, the Babylonians. They come in. They attack. They uh, end up wiping out Jerusalem. Jerusalem is laid bare for 70 years. At the end of that 70 years, the Jews are allowed to go back uh, because of the decrees. The Babylonians have been taken over. The Persians are in charge, and they're more... um Uh, sensitive, kind towards the ancestral homes of the people that they are dominating. So they let the Jews go back and the Jews start going back in different groups. Some go to rebuild the temple and uh, some go back to start rebuilding the city under Ezra's leadership and then all of a sudden some of the neighbors who are the small little kingdoms around Jerusalem, they don't want the Jews to rebuild at all. So they send a letter to the Persian emperor and tell him that these people are rebellious people. They have a history. And he reads the history books and figures out, yeah, they do have a history. Until I check it further, you people need to stop building. And so everything stops for about 12 years. Then that same king is approached by his cupbearer, Nehemiah, and said, can I go back and rebuild? And Nehemiah is in good favor with the king. (coughs) and so he's allowed to go back. He uh, makes the journey back to Jerusalem, and he gets there, and he spends some time checking things out. He gets the people rallied, and they rebuild the walls that are pretty much down. They rebuild them in 52 days. That's pretty, quite an amazing feat considering you know the equipment. It would be an amazing feat today, even though we have the equipment. Getting through the permit stage would take more than 52 days in our day. Um, so they do it, but they do it with opposition. There's people around, people inside. There are some Jews that don't want to work. Isn't that surprising? There's some people within the city that want others to do the work. And uh, then there's people outside that don't want them to do the work. And the people outside in chapter uh, 5, they give them a real hard time. Okay, Or chapter 4 and then going into chapter 5. The hard time comes in mockery. They make, they make fun of them for what they're doing. Then they, they don't stop. The Jews keep working. And so the sticks and stones, you know, uh, names that you know, they, they won't that do hurt typically, all of a sudden the names don't stop the Jews. And so they start threatening the Jews. Then then internally starts the discouragement. Some feel threatened. They are suffering. And it leads into chapter 5 where all of a sudden there's more problems, more difficulties that come in chapter 5. And these difficulties, even as they're getting the job done and winding it down, all of a sudden there's some issues inside the city. What's happening is the workers all of a sudden, there's a famine in the region. They're building and there's not much food that would make people hungry. Uh, Conflicts between a lot of people who are there. The rich are getting richer off the poor people. And basically the summary of chapter 5 is what happened is the uh, poor folk, they, they, they're building, they're building, they're building, but they've got to stop because they, they've used, used up all the kitchen supplies and the freezers are empty. And so they've got to get food for their kids but problem is they have to go farther out because they've used the resources. And some of those who had property and who had some some abilities, all of a sudden they they can't find food, and they need to borrow food or borrow money. And so the rich people are starting to loan the food. They're start, are starting to uh, sell the food. But they're making the folk either give them their land as purchased, and that's Jews giving up an inheritance, big thing. And so some are selling their land. Some don't have any land anymore, but they still need to eat. So they're putting their kids in indenturement to the other Jews. And so now it's gotten really tense. And, they're, and they know the people who are the poorer ones, the ones who have given up everything, to the rich people who are taking advantage of the entire situation, they all know that this is wrong by Scripture, by the Old Testament law, which they haven't been living for, for hundreds of years. They know that that law specifically says, you can't be doing this. You can't be charging such interest. And you, in payment, you can't make another Jew come into servitude because of a debt. And they know that. And so they come to Nehemiah and they just say, we've had enough. We have, you know, the rich are getting rich, the poor are getting poor, and so Nehemiah, we need to do something. Nehemiah has the um, has the responsibility and opportunity to do something because of his job. Do you remember what his job is? He's not just there as you know anybody coming along and getting the building. He has a title. Do you remember what his title is? He's the governor. He's the appointed uh, authority. He's the representative. He's the governor of this territory. And so at coming, that's, you know, he's coming. He's got Persian, Persian rule with him. Oh, by the way, part of the, part of the problem of payments is Persian taxes. So it makes sense why they would, they would come and complain to him because he's the representative of the Persians. So it's not just food, it's the taxes that are kind of causing a lot of the financial problems. So they come to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah has to deal with it. This is chapter 5. Nehemiah starts speaking to it, starts addressing it, and we pick up in verse 6. In verse 6 as you look down, Nehemiah's reaction to the Jewish nobles is, one: I'm going to get these people together. You read verses 6, 7, 8, and look at it real quickly. He gets the people together, both the offenders and the offended and he pull, calls a big town meeting despite the project, despite all the the work that needs to get done we 're almost there let's you know, let 's make a big push to get it done. This is important because there 's an offense because there's you 're stumbling one another, so he calls a halt to the work, co pulls the people together his emotions are very clear because it says he became very angry he 's upset yeah, i was I was reading um a, a It it has to do with what the new series we're embarking on. And I was reading because I had a conversation this week with somebody who they were struggling because they said, I'm getting so angry with somebody who has told them about horrible things they're going to do to other people. And they said, I felt so guilty because I was so angry towards that person for all the evil that they want to do to other people. Is it right to be angry at times? Yes, it is. Does God ever get angry? I'm surprised by the book of Judges because that's where we're going to start a new series here to, this morning. How many times says the and God was angry, and God, the anger of the Lord was kindled. And sometimes we think and feel guilty, and I think it's a false sense of guilt. We get angry and we say, oh, we, we should never be angry. That's not true. Be angry and say, okay, so there's an appropriate time for anger, but it can't lead into sin. Like revenge or uncontrolled responses. But anger itself is not wrong and, the, and Nehemiah gets angry at this point and so he's stirred up to take some action. His actions are very simple. He calls the town meeting and he's going to talk to the people. And his accusations in verses 8 and 9 are very very insightful. I said to them, to the nobles, um, we after our ability, we have redeemed our brethren the Jews which were sold unto the heathen. Okay? And that's, some, that's what's happened. Some of the Jews who are back here had been redeemed by other Jews. They had been purchased off the auction block. Because when they were taken away into captivity, they had been sold. Um, he goes on, and will you now sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? Then they held their peace and found nothing to answer. Why are they so quiet? Why can't they, don't they say anything? Yeah, there's guilt. Okay? Actually, what, you know, the old, the old, you know, adage, what could they say? Okay, because they know they're as, you know, as uh, guilty as can be. And also I said, it is not good that you do, ought you not to walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the heathen our enemies. He's very pointed where he just says to them, what you do is not good and you don't fear God. Now those are two pretty hefty um, accusations, but they're very pointed. And he's just laying it out there as it is. He says, you're doing wrong according to the scriptures. You don't fear God. <clears throat> then what he does is he demands something from the offenders. This is where we left off last week. Watch how he deals with them. He said, okay, in verse 10, I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn, I pray you, let us leave off this usury. He is saying, I could. Okay, as, uh, by the way, you have to put it in parentheses here. I as blank could be charging these people. What's the blank? as governor, could he be charging them to provide him food? Yes. yes. Okay. He could, be, he could be asking them to pay him because that's his job. Okay. And that's where he would get his resources typically that he would get them from the people and uh, take care of his own living expenses. But he says, you guys got to stop this. You got to stop this. Even though I could be charging, we're not doing it. It we'll see at the end of the chapter. And he says, the usury that high interest. Restore, I pray you, to them even this day, their lands, vineyards, olive yards, their houses, also a hundredth part of the money, and of the corn, wine, oil that you exacted them. And they said, what? They, they're they're going to do it, and we will require nothing of them. By the way, there is in the Old Testament, is there a cycle that they were supposed to relieve all debts anyway? Yeah, okay, remember on that cyclical thing that every, you know, we you get the seven years and seven of seven years, all the land reverts and everything. So they were supposed to do that. So what he demands of them is very simple. Stop charging the interest and restore the land and the portions. They agree to do it. Now here's a couple questions. Why does he take them on before everybody? Remember, if there's no fence, we're supposed to go one-on-one and, or two-on-one. Why in this text? How does he, doesn't he violate a Matthew 18 principle by calling him out in public? Okay, let's go over here we'll work our way across. There's a lot of them. Okay, there's a lot of them. That, I think that's, that's very legitimate. I'm, you added something and I was over-talking you. Sorry. Just the idea of the, the number. Okay. Yes. Okay, it was, it was already a public issue. So you got so many people to deal with you got an already public issue. Does the New Testament say that we are supposed to keep every sin silent? And deal with it only in private? No it doesn't. No it doesn't. It doesn't say that. In fact in Timothy where he says that if an elder is found to be worthy of accusation what does he tell you to do? Take it to the public body. Why? Because the nature of position and public nature, sometimes it does get broadcasted. And it's not rumored, but it's dealt with graciously, but it has to be dealt with in an open sense. Is there value? Let me see if I can bring it back this way. You're disciplining, you're training your kids, okay? We had this principle, we tried this principle, that a lot of the times when we were disciplining, we were training, especially if we were carrying out some form of physical correction, we would take them aside and do it privately. Were there occasions, that the, that might be the norm, for us it was the norm, but were there occasions that it was very obvious and evident that, a, that an open rebuke, an open situation before all four kids was appropriate? Because if one was doing something that could put all four in danger or leading them into something, there's a, then, it, then it needs to be dealt with in a more public fashion. So to say that, one, we're not supposed to ever be angry, that's not true. Okay, but it doesn't mean we just go off the deep end. And to say that every time there is a sin, it has to be dealt with privately, that's not true. That's the general principle, but there are times that you have to be more open and deal with it more openly. Okay, and, and, and again, he's dealing with it openly, but there is something here that's a, a principle. Who does he deal with it openly with? I didn't say that real clear, did I? Okay, in an open fashion... What, uh, who's he talking to? He's still talking to the offenders. He's not talking to everybody else and not them. Does that make sense, what I'm getting at? Okay. He's, he's laying it out for everybody to see how he's dealing with it because it's an, it's an open offense. But he's not talking to everybody else. He's talking to them you you just became the nobles. He's talking to them, but everybody's able to observe. So though he's dealing with it publicly, he's dealing with it directly with the offenders. Okay, now there's there's a principle, right? So when we deal with something publicly, we don't tell everybody else about it and never approach the offender. That's the way it's often dealt with, and that's not appropriate. Okay so if i if we need to do something publicly we deal with the offender in a public fashion but again those are that's not the norm but that is a possibility which he does at this point so he deals with it publicly and then when they say we're going to take care of this we're going to restore he asks for restitution which is important because not just asking for forgiveness or repentance but repentance duh, a restitution and repentance go together do they not yes does this make sense Okay, you've stolen something. You said, I'm really sorry I stole it. What should you do as well? Give it back or re- replace the item, the value of the item. Restitution is a biblical principle that if somebody who's offended they need to restore. The problem is when it comes to certain sins you cannot restore. Once the vase is broken you can't, you can't take it back. Okay, And so here he's asking them to make restitution which they agree to do and then watch what's interesting th- that goes a little bit further we will restore them we require nothing so will we do as you say then what does he do look at, the, look at verse 12 I called the priest and took a, a what from them what does he ask of these guys they said they're going to do it but what's he do he's going to make a public it's going to be an oath and it's made in front of people why does he bring the priest in and have them make an open vow to everyone accountability, accountability accountability. Okay? So he has the accountability factor. Now the pressure is on them. And then, watch what he does. He says, okay, that they, took, they do according to the promise. There's the accountability. Okay? Then verse 13, what else does he do? I shook the, my lap. What's that mean? He's basically doing one of these with his robe. Okay. And basically he's giving an illustration. He says, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performs not this promise, even thus he be shaken out and emptied, and all the congregations... He he not only he not only says, Okay, you did wrong, okay, we're sorry we did wrong. Pay up, make it right, make a public declaration, an oath, you're gonna do it right. And then he gives them I don't know what else to what word to you a warning, a threat. You better make good or else. Okay, and so he's really holding him accountable that this is, this is a public situation. And he makes it clear, you're in big trouble if you violate this vow. And the entire congregation, this is one of the rare times that you read this type of phrase, the entire congregation says, amen, amen. And it's, and it's not just because, oh, the rich man got it. Okay, it's because the violators got it. It's not that they're rich that is the problem. It's the way they're, they're abusing their authority, their rich, their blessings that God has given them. And so Nehemiah is very clear. And so he deals with the problem. And he handles it real closely. Now there's a couple of different, different applications. We already allude to them. Um, but we'll get to them in a second. Here's, here, let's continue on for a second and finish it out. Then he adds a personal footnote, and this is his added comments as he writes this later. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, that is 12 years, I, my brethren, we have not eaten, eaten the bread of the governor. What's he mean by that? Was there a special food made for the governor? Is that what he means? You know, like you have special, you know, um, what's the pie? Shoe fly pie. Okay. That's a special pie to this area. Was there a special pie called, or a bread called, governor's bread? No. What's he referring to? Yeah, yeah. It's the food that could be provided to the governor charged to the people's account. And so he goes on he explains that. The former governors that had been before me, they were charging the people and had taken of them bread and wine besides the forty shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. I didn't do this because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work on this wall neither bought we any land. And all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. Moreover, there were at my table now, he's going to give his personal expense account. At my table, there was 150 Jews and rulers, besides those that came to us among the he- from among the heathen that were, are about us. Now, that which was prepared for me daily was, and he gives you his menu, okay, his, his daily a lot, uh, and he says um, about all the different foods. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor, because the bondage was heavy upon the people. So he makes it very clear that though I could charge the people, it was my right to charge. He gave up his right. And what he does here is he makes it clear that as a right to the governor, as the governor, he didn't charge the people. Why not? Is he saying it's wrong to charge taxes? No. No. Is he saying that any future nobility should never charge the people? No, he's not saying that. But he's saying under these circumstances that we are living in, the people are already destitute. Okay, we're trying to rebuild. And he says, so I opted not. I gave up my right at this moment so that he says that I could continue to do what I wanted to do. I worked on the wall so I as ruler didn't charge them what what they could have been charged. I as the ruler, I was working on the wall Okay? And and not just saying, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. He put his hand to the plow as well. Um, He says that I as a ruler, one thing I'm not doing, I am not land speculating. I am not making personal profit at the expense of other people because I know I'm talking to somebody and find out that you know they're they're in tough times financially and I I could say well I could lend you some money da 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 or I could buy your property and get it at a good rate. I I and those who are working with me we refuse to do this. We're not gonna we're not gonna take advantage of people's plight. And so he's very clear on that. He personally then covers the expenses for all these people, including his soldiers and including the others who were doing a lot of the work that he was funding the lunch program for them. What does this tell you about Nehemiah? One, what does it tell you about his personal bank account? Okay, he's got a pretty decent bank account. Yes, we'd, we'd grant that. Okay, so, um, so he's, not, he's not a poor man, okay? And again, he never says, and nobody in this book says, wealth is wrong. Okay, can wealth be used for good? Yes, and Nehemiah is an example of that. And so God prospered him and he uses it in a good way. What does it tell you about his character? He cares for people. He cares for people. And, and, and his country. That's very important. Okay, what else does it tell you about him? He's a very honorable guy. Don't you wish this was the type of political leaders that we had in abundance? that weren't out to make a buck or to get, get power and authority. And so he's, he sets, quite frankly, he's setting them a what? He's setting them an example that the work of God is worthy of sacrifice. And he's making personal sacrifice. Now does he write this because he wants everybody to go, yay Nehemiah, you're the man. No, why does he write it? Why do you think that God, well let's rephrase that. Nehemiah has not said anything like this up to this point. Right? He's not said, I'm wealthy. He's not opened up. Remember how it sometimes says, let not the right hand know what the left hand is doing? Why does the Spirit of God lead him to write this at this moment? To tell about his commendable charity. You think it's an example for us? To give God the glory? All of that's true, right? Don't you think? Is the circumstances make sense why God would have him write it at this moment? Because who's the contrast between? What kind of, who's he contrasting himself with? The, the, other, the other leadership that's taking place. He's making it very clear that, and, and I think this is an important thought because do we, have, do we have a battle in America that says wealth is wrong? Is there that sentiment starting to pervade our, our thought pattern? Yeah, and, and, and that's not true. And Nehemiah, do you think that the poor people at his day struggled by saying wealth is wrong? Sure, sure. And so he's making it very clear. I think God is making it very clear. Not all wealthy people are bad or evil. Wealth can be di- handled properly. And so he's setting out an example. And it makes perfect sense to me why God would have him write that. Not to be boastful, but to give us, to give the Jews an understanding that it's not the wealth that's the issue. Money is not the root of all evil. Correct? Is that the, is that the misconception? Yeah. What is, what is the root of all evil? Yeah, and he's correcting that. He's challenging that, that easy concept by saying, these guys were loving money. I have money too. But you can use money and it's not wrong. You can use it for the glory of God. Okay, and so God leads him to do that, and it's very, very proper at this point in the book. Makes perfect sense to me. And so he ends up in this chapter after he's dealt with. He says, "God, here's what I've been doing. I really think God is leading me, and not and, he's, and he never says every leader ought to do this. Never says that. But he just says, this is what I was doing, and God, please bless my efforts for what I'm doing.' And again, he's he's this is written after the whole period. If you if you understand what he wrote when he says, I was the governor for that, for, from this time to this time, when does that tell you he's writing this story? After. After he's no longer governor. So he's not saying this while he's governor, he's saying it afterwards. And so he tells it and he says, okay, at that time I prayed for God's approval. Now the problems don't go away what happens is the problems become a little bit more intense. They're almost, uh, excuse me, okay, they're wrapping up the project, they're almost done with the project and we get into chapter 6. Now before I do that, let's fill in your notes. Okay, some of you have these in your notes, I think, if, you have, if I put them in right. Those who make a difference are those who seek to have, are those who have a genuine compassion for the oppressed and seek justice for all. I think that's a truism, okay, that there's a, there's a there's not just on our part to be concerned about people's soul. That is primary. But we should also have a concern for their, their welfare. Because if we see a brother in need and say, be warmed and filled, that's not commendable. That is not commendable. So we have to have some concern for the physical, for the justice, as well as primarily we're after the concern for people's soul. That's no doubt. They, uh, those who make a difference are those who contemplate and control their actions even if they're angry. And again, anger is not wrong. It's how you act when you're angry, okay, and what you're angry about. And so he is, he is uh, under control, and he is angry, and it motivates him to take some action. They have courage to confront those who do wrong, even if they're rich and influential. That's tough. That's tough to do this to people who are rich and influential when, when you know, you're somewhat reliant upon those people, And he is to try to keep the peace in the land, but he's going to confront them because they're doing wrong. Their confrontation, those who make a difference, they confront people properly. In his case, he does it quickly, he does it personally. That is going to them, though it's in a public arena, he's going to them. He's going to deal with Bible based offenses. The offenses that he is upset about are they have violated scripture a rule. He's insisting it to stops. He's demanding restitution. He's going to hold them accountable. All those things we already alluded to. That's proper confrontation with compassion. Let's go a little bit further. Those who make a difference for God in the work, God's work, uh, they work at finding constructive resolutions to conflicts, not just pointing out mistakes. He's, he's finding a way of resolving this not just saying you're bad, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong and just saying wrong, 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 wrong. He's trying to help come to a conclusion and a resolution to it. They maintain their personal integrity when dealing with money matters. And so we have that idea of going the extra mile. We have the idea of biblical principles. We have the idea of charity. We have the idea of not taking advantage of others financially and that's Nehemiah. And they want God to bless their efforts, their labors. That's all Nehemiah. That's all him. Chapter 6 continues that all of a sudden he's done all this. And most of us by the way, let, let's, let's say we're there. You know this about Nehemiah you see what he's done. Would you want to follow Nehemiah? Would he be the type of guy you want to work for? Yeah. We, most all of us who have been following and, and are aware of his situation we'd say that's, that's my guy. That's my guy. I'm going to follow him. So what happens in chapter 6, those who are against him, they have to somehow pull the carpet underneath his influence upon people. They have to somehow make him look like he's not worth following. That he's a crook. That he is... Chapter 6 is modern day press going after leaders to find anything and everything they can. Okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you, you don't think it happens in modern day press that we want to slaughter people, right? Okay. That when they were, you know, 40 years ago, they said something. Okay, well, th- th- this is exactly what's going to happen in Nehemiah. He's going to come under attack, and they're going to use the press, okay, to the press that they have at that day. And so what happens in chapter 6 is a lot of personal attacks that some of you can relate to, whether it be family, coworkers, that things are said about you that aren't true or that are exaggerated, or innuendos. Innuendos are more damaging at times than any factual statement. And so they're going to try to stop the project and uh, they've already attempted efforts to say, don't work, what you're doing is lousy work. And then there's been the attack against the people. You know, We're going to threaten you, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then there's been the opposition. But the the walls keep going on. The project continues because the people had a mind to work. And so now they look and say, okay, we got cut off the head. Let's take out the head. If we're going to stop this, we've got to, we've got to take out Nehemiah. And so chapter 6 is a series of repeated attacks against Nehemiah personally. The attacks are against his character and his person. And it's very diabolical what they try to do in chapter 6 to get him removed so that they can stop the work. So several times in the chapter, if you read through chapters, chapter 6, he refers to they sought to make me fear. They sought to make me fear or there was, we, we feared. And they do achieve some of their purpose. They're trying to get him to become a fearful individual who will stop the work. So they're trying to scare him out of his job if they can't take him out of the job. And so they challenge not only his life, but they're going to challenge the worst part. They're going to go after his reputation his integrity. They're going to try to destroy him that way. And it even comes to a point that towards the end of the, cha- uh, in the chapter that Nehemiah says God, you need to strengthen my hands. You need to strengthen my hands. What's he implying? It's getting to him. It's getting to him. No matter how strong you are, the repeated attacks, they, they're getting to him. And so he says, I need it. What's that? You can count on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He said that if we're going to do something, that's one of my concluding statements. If we're going to do something good for for God, we can count on these type of attacks. Right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be some form of persecution or attacks. And so Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is affected by it. Just like we are. We get affected by some of these things. The false stories, the rumors, the innuendos, the attacks. You know, it makes you go Why bother? And so Nehemiah is going to face this. Here's where it goes. Okay, let's start. Let's just follow what happened. They're trying to trick him. The first thing they do is they try to trick him to get him aside so they can rough him up so they can scare the the willies out of him. I, I'm not sure exactly what their full intent is, but I know what happens. It came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left. We're just putting the capstone on basically. We've, we've got this far. Okay, The gates aren't on, but the walls are pretty much done. That Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me and said, come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of w- what metropolis? Okay, where is this? Okay, it's over here. Okay, you know, it's up up this, yeah, it's up this way. Okay, so he says we want to meet at the Plain of Ono. Some, some, Some interesting facts here about Ono of the Bible. Okay, the Ono of the Bible, many historians say that it was an oasis. It was a place you wanted to go to for rest and relaxation. That's Ono. Just like one here in our town, right? You go for rest and relaxation. It's about a four hour travel from Jerusalem and it's a very comfortable spot. So it apparently it had the spas and the resorts, you know, and all those things that the nobles would go to. And so it was supposed to be, from records at this time, from what I understand, they indicate that it was like for the hoi polloi of the community, this was their resort area that you go to Ono. And so the invitation is very, very, if that's the case, if I understand that that historical data right, okay, this is the thing that, Nehemiah, you deserve a break today. Okay, this is the first McDonald's commercial. Okay, coming from Sambao. Come on, you deserve a break. Let's do a peace conference. We've had some problems. Everybody knows. Let's get together and let's talk about it. We'll, give you, you know, we'll let you be able to have a facial and you know, they'll, they'll let you sit in the spa and you know, you'll get all kind of, everything's going to be a wonderful experience for you. So let's get together. But Nehemiah says and, I, and we don't know how. We don't know how he knew this. They, sought to do, they, they thought to do me mischief. They thought to do some physical harm to him. How he's made aware he doesn't say, but he knows it. He knows that there is a threat to him. And so they say, oh Nehemiah, here we go. I sent messengers to them and said, I'm doing a great work so that I don't have time to come down. Why should I stop and why should I leave it and come down to you? In other words, I'm busy. Okay, Why should I come and meet you there? By the way, if I'm busy here and you really want to talk, you come here. You come, you come to my house, okay? So that while I continue putting the mortar up, we can talk. If it's that, if you're that sincere about this, you come and see me. And yet they sent unto me four times, and I stopped answering them. Okay? You don't. And so you've got the situation. He refuses repeatedly, and you know, you know that some of the people who who uh, were probably around that area are going to accuse him of being rude. They're going to accuse him of being obnoxious. You know, we could have peace with these people if you would just take the time to go and talk with them. But Nehemiah knows if I go and talk with them, there's going to be more problems okay it's not going to work we've already seen what they've proven themselves to be like we we know the the background already of the story that he's aware of that these guys are no good and they're going to they're meaning to harm him so he's not going to do it he's not going to do it and his response is real simple you know he just says very very simply i'm not going to let their pressure stop me he just says no and by the way is it okay to say no to people at times not only is it okay sometimes it's Yeah, 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 absolutely. Sometimes just, you know, uh, just that idea. Is it okay not to answer every every time somebody buzzes you? Yeah. Yeah, like answering the phone or answering a text. He doesn't answer after a while. Is there a time and a place, just don't answer? Okay, And so he, his rationale is flawless because he had more pressing work to do. We know that. He had no intent of letting off this work. He's sacrificing an awful lot. We just heard that. He wants this job done for the benefit of the people. It's not for his personal benefit. He's made that very clear in the previous chapter. This isn't about me making profit and having pleasure and having ease. I'm paying. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not taking time off. I am busy doing the work that God has called me to do. And why should I take take time for personal pleasure in that regard. Not at this moment. And, he said, and the implication is if you want to meet, come meet here. Okay? I don't have to meet you elsewhere. So he maintains his priorities despite the pressures of others. Which is really classical that you know that he's got people saying, oh Nehemiah, you're the one who is being rude. You're the one who's not meeting with them." But he knows better. He knows it's not a profitable time. So what they do is they try to discredit him. This attack, I think, is even more, more serious than what we often think. Then sent Tam, uh, to Sam Ballot, his servant, unto me in like manner, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. What's an open letter? What does he mean by an open letter? It's, it's one of these that you read, a private letter you read before everybody. Why? What's the purpose of an open letter? It's not to be private. It's not a personal letter. It's to make sure that there's added pressure upon Nehemiah. That he, they, this is a public ploy. An open letter at this point is, and the open letter he goes on. He talks about what the open letter has, okay, in his hand. It, and he tells us what was written in it. It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu says it, Okay, that you and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause you build the wall, that you may be their king, according to these words. You have also appointed prophets to preach about you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now shall it be reported to the king, according to these words, come now, therefore, let us get together, or else. Okay, so his, his, they're sending it, the letter is kind of feigning, we're concerned about you, we want to get together and discuss this. Because we're very concerned about you, because we hear lies being said about you, or we hear rumors being said about you. So we want to talk to you about these rumors. But he knows they mean it for no good, okay? And so he's he's um, going to respond in a phenomenal way. And he knows it's it's a rumor mill. It's reported amongst so you know, everybody. You ever hear these? Everybody says, "I heard from a reliable source." Okay? That's Gashmu in this, in this account. It claimed that he's leading a revolt and wanted to become their king. It claims that he's hired some prophets. Oh man, and everybody knows hiring a prophet is a bad thing to do because the prophets work for God, not for people. So he's, they're laying out a scenario that they're going to attack him based upon these rumors. And it ends with a, rep- with a repeated invitation. You've got to meet us at, oh no, okay, or else okay, well, you're going to be in big trouble. The purpose of the open letter is very simple. They want to cause doubt about Nehemiah amongst the people. They want to point out that Nehemiah, you know, here you go, Nehemiah, you know, this, is, this is what we hear about him. You people, you should, you should take a better look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah you know, I'm not so sure that his sacrifice of all that he's been doing is genuine. He might be doing this, and isn't it amazing that people will pick up on the doubts quicker than they'll pick up on the details of the proof of somebody's character. So what happens is they all of a sudden they're, you know, they're making accusations. They're putting pressure on Nehemiah. They're trying to threaten him. You know The king's going to hear about this Nehemiah. The king's going to hear about... Um, by the way, who's best buddies with the king? Seriously. Yeah, they, you know, Come on. The king knows Nehemiah. But but is it effective to attack somebody's character and to make innuendos about him? It usually works. Okay, The rumors of those days, the, of this rumor right here, this rumor has a lot of similar tentacles to what often happens today. Uh, rumors today usually don't name original sources, do they? We've heard or somebody that I trust tells me, you know, uh, you know It's and usually they don't. The the source is not y'all. The the unidentified source. Okay. The they are filled with inaccurate, exaggerated statements. They serve to hurt the uh, person in question. They contain unending innuendos about motives, about his desire for fame and power. By the way, isn't this true of rumors today? They're usually designed. This is the way that they operate. They're kept confidential. <laughs> or they're not kept confidential, but relayed openly. I really care about you, or you know, I'm really concerned about. Let's just pretend here. I'm really concerned about Ma hits, so I got to tell you something about her. Well, if I'm really concerned about Mom hits, go to Mom hits. But it usually comes across as we're really concerned. Okay, and these rumors. Um, Here's here's a little ditty that I I read that I thought was worth just uh, reading to you. It says, I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts. I ruin lives. I'm cunning, malicious, and gather strength the older I am alive. Anybody know what it is? It's gossip. Watch how it goes on. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. My victims are helpless. They can't protect themselves against me because I have no name. I have no face. He goes on, to track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I topple governments, wreck friendships. I ruin careers. I cause sleepless nights and heartaches. I make innocent people cry under their pillows. I make the headlines and the headaches. I'm nobody's friend. Even my name hisses. I am gossip. Okay. Isn't that true? You know, the rumor mill... Okay, that how it goes. And so before, somebody wrote this, this is by um, he was the pastor at Moody Church a number of years, Alan Redpath, that they were going through a real difficulty in the church. And in the difficulty in the church as they were going through it, they were suffering a lot of families were starting to question the leadership, were starting to leave, were going to go away because of somebody in the church trying to caused a lot of conflict and it was working. And so he, in one of his messages he says, here's what we need to do as a body of Christ. We need to, when we hear things we need to apply this. Before you repeat it, think. And he used the anachronism, I think it's fabulous, that think before you speak. Number one, you ask yourself, is it true? Is it true? You ask yourself, is it helpful to repeat it? You ask yourself is it inspirational to repeat it? You ask yourself in the end, is it necessary to repeat it? Is it kind as you repeat it? And uh, tremendous challenge to me, to you, to say, hey listen, we need to think before we speak. We need to make these applications. Well, Nehemiah is going to be facing all kinds of rumors against him. He's going to be challenged. How does he respond to the rumors? Does he rumor back? Does he get on a soapbox and get up there and the next verse says, okay, everybody stop. I want to give you all the facts of what's going on. He doesn't do that. He just says, okay, I've dealt with it. I'm going to deal with it. Uh, He basically does what he's been doing all along and he lets his life do the speaking. Will some people doubt him? Sure. Sure, there's no doubt. Okay, but this is, this is, God called me to this work, to this job. I'm not battling other people to just maintain my reputation. I will leave it with God to take care of it. And so that's just, just tremendous. It's going gonna, it's gonna to unfold. There's going to be more attacks. We'll pick those up next week, but that just, we just stop right there, and we'll pick up next week where we go.